Welcome to the Getting More Leads and Sales from Your Website podcast with your host, Dan Kaplan, co-founder of Periscope Up. Learn how to increase traffic and conversions from your website. Each episode, Dan interviews a digital marketing leader or practitioner, asking them all the same question. How do you get more leads and sales from a website? Visit PeriscopeUp.com for a free Google Analytics course, Dan's ebook on great website content, or to sign up for our email newsletter filled with succinct, practical marketing tips that will help you get more leads and sales from any website. Hi everybody, Dan Kaplan with Periscope Up and welcome back to the Getting More Leads and Sales from Your Website podcast. I cannot tell you how excited I am today to have Adria Saracino of Distilled. Distilled is a full service digital marketing agency and I gotta tell you, I'll give them a little plug because I love them. I've been going to their Search Love conferences uh, in, I have go in Boston, but they're offered in California and in London as well. And these are like the best of the best digital marketing practitioners anywhere on the planet. They get them all to come together and they give the secrets and their best tips. And it's, and it's, a, it's the best way I know to stay on top of industry trends and, and to get some really good creative ideas. If you're an agency, check out searchlove or distill.net. Um, Adria is the head of content at the content strategy at Distilled. Did I get that right, Adria? Yes, you did. Yeah, and um, uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, content strategy, what it is, and she's got a great example of a successful campaign that they ran at Distilled. We're going to break it down, get into the nuts and bolts of it, and I understand at the end of the uh, podcast, Adria, you have a free giveaway as well. Is that right? Yes. All right, great. So um, why don't you just give us a little background of yourself on yourself to start off. I'd love to hear your story and how you got to be head of content strategy at a killer agency. Awesome. Yeah, of course. So I actually went to school thinking I wanted to be a journalist. Um, and so I went to Syracuse University. I had always written as a kid from as long back as I can remember. And I decided that, you know, journalism was what it was, what I wanted to do. Um, but it actually took my first year as a freshman at Syracuse to have to take a graphic design course. Uh, and I thought, you know, I think this will actually be a little bit more useful. Uh, I know how to write and and just Syracuse's communication school, they require that you need to take journalism courses anyway. So I was like, mm. this is way more strategic. Why don't I uh, learn more about design? Because I don't know that. Um, and then I had also decided to do a dual degree in marketing as my quote unquote backup plan, just in case my design career um, didn't take off. Uh, so yeah, throughout school uh, and my internships and all of that, I was very focused on design and photography and more art direction. And I, when I decided to move to Seattle, I actually ended up having trouble finding a job because uh, they're very web-based here, not so much print. And that was always where my passion was, was print publications. So kind of had one of those hard discussions with myself and I had remembered in my marketing program in Syracuse, my last semester, I actually took a course on SEO and I remembered thinking it was probably the coolest thing I'd ever heard. It seemed like a huge conspiracy theory trying to get uh, get rankings up in Google. And I mean, this was a while ago, so this was uh, back when SEO was a little bit questionable, but I thought it was amazing. And so I said, you know, maybe I should try my hand in marketing. and and pick up that backup plan. And yeah, I found a entry level job that said, we'll train you um, in SEO and, and whatnot. And I got trained at my first job out of school, my first real job. 
doing that. And it actually ended up turning more into outreach, PR, and biz dev. So while I did a lot of um, training and work to learn what the traditional SEO craft was, started there. Uh, and I worked there for about two years. Um, and then I actually met somebody who worked at Distilled at the time. And when he was moving on, he recommended me to take mm -hmm. over their uh, outreach uh, division. And just they were just thinking about starting a new team. And so I joined Distilled to start up their outreach team. Uh, and I had started at Distilled as head of outreach and grew the team to, there were nine of us. And then I moved to content strategy and started a new team and division there um, because I had, it took only a few months to realize that's actually what I was doing the whole time, uh, trying to develop what kind of content we should act, trying to decide what kind of content we should actually develop uh, before we even just start the outreach process. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of more formally were like, Let, let's call it how it is and, and start a team. And so, yeah, that's how I actually ended up at Distilled. And I'm in a, a program, a, a job I had no idea existed a while back, but it includes journalism, marketing, and some design chops. So, great. yeah, yeah, <laughs> and we're gonna. This is great because you've got a lot of experience, and we're gonna talk about that experience. Hopefully, share some of that with our, our listeners today. So, great. All right, we're here to talk about content strategy, and you know, my question on this podcast is always, how do you use your area of expertise to get more leads and sales? So, let's dive into that. Um, you know, what is content strategy, how do you define it? Why is it important for me to use it to get more uh, out of my website? Totally. So I define content marketing and content strategy as any marketing initiative in which you're using content in order to try to uh, hit a goal. So whether that's gain awareness, gain sales, sometimes retention. Uh, and that being said, it, it's very broad. I know a lot of clients come to us and the definition of what is included in content marketing, content strategy, and they oftentimes think that's either blogs, blogging, or that means um, bigger kind of interactive pieces that they might see that you launch on a campaign by campaign basis. And while content strategy and marketing definitely includes those, really anything on your digital properties is considered content. So that includes your whole website. It could be your conversion category pages. Um, it could be your blog, but it could be also be your social channels, your email channel. So it really includes a lot of different things on the web. Um, and so basically what content strategy is, is trying to figure out one, what channels should you be using? Um, because I think a lot of companies try to use too many channels. Um, but then it also is how can we use content in an effective way to hit our goals. So it's a lot of front end research and planning. And then it's trying to take insights from that research and planning in order to define a direction you're going to go in. So we kind of like to look at the end result of a content strategy as what's the vision of what we're trying to achieve. And once you determine that, that's kind of the thread that you weave mm -hmm. into your, your uh, forthcoming content plan. So that could be a project plan, an editorial calendar for your blog, uh, your social strategy, because at that point you'll have decided this is the vision and these are the channels that we should be prioritizing. Okay, let's figure out step by step how we're actually going to execute it. Right. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. I love that you mentioned goals because so many people come to us and uh, they'll say, well, let's just see what sticks or you know, so many, we see so many people, their content strategies just to try different things and see what the results will be. But I, th I think that you're much more goal oriented, right? Your, your approach is to determine a goal, number what, what would be some, some good goals to, to go for with content strategy? 
Yeah, so uh, the end goal that most companies want to hit is how do we get more leads? How do we get more sales? Um, but really, content strategy, your your goal is to define the goals you need throughout the purchasing life cycle. Um, and so people don't just say, I need something, go to your site and buy something. It's a very sophisticated decision. Um, and sometimes you need to be convinced in one way or another via marketing message to even realize that you need a product or service to begin with. So goals at that stage of the funnel higher up is very much about just getting people to know your brand. Mm. And the goals there are you're not going to get a direct lead from that because again, people. Oh, go ahead. So, do you go as far as far as saying a goal might be increased visits by, you know, twenty percent, or increase email signups by a hundred people, or you know, do you get that specific with your goals? Yeah, totally. And it starts at benchmarking. Um, you need to really. F- see where you've been it's not a great idea to just arbitrarily be like i think we should just get 100 more um but yeah it it definitely should be measurable and specific Mm -hmm. like that okay um good all right so you mentioned uh sort of the process here is research understand the context and then you talked about prioritization and uh planning and part of that planning might be a calendar editorial calendar and then you know execute, and that's distributing, creating the content, and then distributing it through whatever channels you you talked about. And, you know, and one of the points you made that I want to make sure we touch on is, you think sometimes companies go after too many channels and, and are trying to do too much. So I want to make sure we hit on that. But why don't we go through those points and, and just talk a little bit about how you might approach each one of those. Maybe you can give a couple anecdotes. Uh, let's start with let's start with research and, and context. Yeah. Totally. So uh, how we've sort of distilled it down here at Distilled, sorry for the pun, um, is that there's really three pillars of research that a company needs in order to come up with a content strategy. And those include company research, competitor research, and then your customer research. Um, And so going through each, the company research is usually a good place to start. um, And that is doing things like first, benchmarking your current performance. Um, So that could be anything from doing a deep dive of analytics, answering a lot of questions like, how much traffic are we getting? Where's most of our conversions coming from? What's kind of the user funnel through the site? Uh, Doing those sorts of things. Um, It also includes understanding why your company exists. Um, and that is if you're you have a brand and you've developed your your brand strategy already. Some companies obviously are at that stage. It's revisiting those um, brand guidelines and and saying, okay, what is our tone of voice? Why do why what are we trying to say here? Why are we different? What's our core strengths? And asking those kind of questions. If you are a company that's newer, maybe doesn't have those, it's starting to run those kind of exercises, mm-hmm. asking questions of why are we in this world? And it better be an answer beyond making money. Um, and if that's the first instinct, it should be like, but what are we trying to change here? And you're asking a series of questions to get at your brand essence. Right, because that's what's gonna resonate with yeah. the, the readers and users, right? I mean, at the end of the day, I like to say that, it isn't about you. You might think your website's about you yeah. as a company, but it's all about me. 
Yeah, well, exactly. And it definitely can reflect you. And that's why trying to get to your brand personality and what makes you different is going to be really helpful in the long run of how you position yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that company research is kind of the first step answering those questions. Um, And that could be where you're developing your tone of voice. And that's also the area you would do a content audit. And so with that benchmark audit, figuring out how you're currently performing, it's also what do we have out there already, especially if you've done a lot of things you want to have kind of an inventory of what kind of social stuff have we done email right. uh, blogging so that's What's the company worked, what hasn't what you know exactly exactly and so you want that company pillar filled out um, and then the next one is your competitor research uh, and that's trying to understand uh, how not only your direct competitors are performing but also content competitors because as you are going to start doing more content you are going to be talking about things that might be a little bit more tangential and related but not right on track with your products and services mm-hmm. and so you might be entering into the realm of a publisher that's already out there um, and so you want to take direct and content competitors and analyze th- analyze things like what channels are they using what's working what isn't what's their brand position um, one of the things I really like to do is I actually like to call competitors uh, direct mm-hmm. ones and pretend I'm a customer and go through their sales process wow. um, and you'll see and, and ask them questions like why should I choose you what makes you different and see what they're saying um, I like doing those kind of kind of things <laughs> um, but it gives you a lot of insights uh, because you're going to use that later to figure out where your company fits in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the competitor research Love component. Uh, and then uh, the customer research is the last pillar. And that is probably the one that I would say is the most underrated with companies. They often go into strategy sessions thinking they know their customers. Uh, they say, oh, yeah, we, we target uh, women uh, ages 18 to 55 and that's it. And it's, it, that's very general and it's not specific enough because what you really want to understand is you want to understand the typical thought process and behaviors throughout the purchasing journey. So how does somebody discover your site all the way to purchase and then all the way to retaining your retaining business with you or moving on to the next one? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that includes creating personas, trying to generalize your customers into segments and including things. Where do they hang out on the web? Um, what's their characteristics? Are they kind of, um, they want the information fast or are they the type that will research heavily themselves and need assistance um, or not? So you right. really want to get huge investments in character when you're doing that. And so after you do your customer research, what you're doing with those three pillars is if you look at it as a Venn diagram, it's you're trying to find the holes in which what your customers say they need and what they want what with what your competitors are giving them and then trying to find the holes in that in which to position your brand and that's why knowing yeah and that's why knowing your brand is so important because sometimes companies try to give customers what they need and want but it doesn't relate to anything they believe in or that they can do and that's where you see people making content that's like why is this insurance company talking about cats and zombies and what's funny um so that's where the intersect is so maybe this is a good point to ask you a question that i was going to ask you later on in the in the conversation what is good content i mean it seems to me like you you you're doing all this research so you can figure out what to produce that people will want to consume 
mm-hmm. and get them in your funnel so that you can then convince them to buy, right? I mean, talk to me a little bit about what makes good content before totally. we get back to the other conversation. Yeah, yeah. So good content is a very nuanced discussion that's different depending on the company because what's good to your customers and your target market is diff- going to be different than what's good to others. Um, and that's why knowing your customer is so important because if you look at companies like the New York Times, their initial um, company brand is all the news fit to print. Their customers like that. They like long form, um, questionably less visuals, more text, but that's not considered good for somebody else, somebody else's readership. Um, So good content is really about aligning what your customers want to the kind of content you develop. And what else makes it good is making sure that it is reaching measurable goals. Mm -hmm. Um, I see a lot of companies, particularly with blogging, where they just have somebody coming up with ideas that they think is cool, not based on anything. They're just like, oh, we're in insurance. Let's write something about um, the difference between landlord and business insurance, and they'll just Mm -hmm. write it. And really, you want to have it informed by that research, but then also have a way to measure if that's effective. And that can be a lot of different things. You could be going by social shares if you think it's something that would attract people to share it with their friends. It could be comments. You could put event tracking in your Google Analytics to see if people are actually scrolling down the right. page. Um, so there's lots of ways to measure well, if two, your content Two that good. I'll add are um, Google Trends for predictive yep. and uh, also just looking at what's working out on the web, you know, what's getting exactly. the Reddit shares or what's, you know, what's got a lot of uh, retweets or, you know, what other people are writing that seems to be catching totally. on. And that's where that competitor research comes in. And and I our VP of Creative has often said there's no such thing as a new idea. Everything is just taking old ideas and looking at new ways of mm-hmm. angling it. Old wine and new bottles, right? Yeah. All right. Good. Good. All right. So let's get back to this little process that we we put out there: research, prioritize, plan, execute. So research got that. What's mm-hmm. what's next? Prioritize. Yeah. So after you do all that research and start drawing insights and getting a more intimate understanding of your audience, your competitors, that's where you'll start noticing holes. Like you might notice through your competitor research that, oh, geez, all of our competitors and content competitors are really blogging. They are killing the blogging space, Mm -hmm. Um, but nobody's really doing email. That helps you prioritize a channel that you can own. compared to your competitors, if that's what you want to go after a unique one. Um, sometimes it has to do with resources and, and it might be, oh no, but none of our competitors are really doing blogging, but do we have the resources to actually blog? And then it's like, we don't. So we have to prioritize something else. So it's all about making those decisions based off the research and choosing which path to take. Because right. you can't do it all at it, once. Yeah, and I think this gets to, to your point about some companies taking on too many channels. Totally. Talk to that a little bit. Yeah, I think a lot of companies uh, have sort of this this oh they did it let let's us do it and one a really good example I could think of uh, where there's case studies about this is adding badges to your site. Um, a lot of people think that it's common knowledge to put a trust badge on your site because they think that that's going to improve conversions. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's been studies out there that conversions have actually increased for some brands by removing a badge. Um, and so it's very different depending on your company, who your audience is. And having that kind of, oh, let's just do it and not being skeptical isn't going to help you. Uh, and Rand Fishkin actually did a really great 
presentation on why marketers need to be better skeptics at our, our last Search Love Boston conference. Highly recommend people looking into it. It, mm-hmm. it really really resonated with how I feel about things. Uh, and really what you should be doing is taking what you know about your customers, figuring out where they hang, what kind of channels they respond to, and just prioritizing the ones that you think you have the resources to right. to do well and not fracturing yeah. your attention. I, I, I'm thinking of two things as you're, as you're talking about this. Um, you know, uh, I just had a time management expert on, uh, Jody Hume, and, you know, she said saying no to something is saying yes to something else. No, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, and um, I think the other thing that, that comes to mind is that you got to be in this for the long haul, right? I mean, this is, oh, totally. this is not a one and done, let's throw something out there and see what sticks. This is, you got to constantly be improving and committed to it. You have to commit to, uh, you know, your website and, and your content program because it's... Oh, totally. Yeah. It's going It's going to fail. Like, that's, I think, one of the, the biggest mistakes I think businesses make, especially small ones, is that they're looking for quick wins, especially if you come from the traditional SEO space where it's, it's a very tactical industry in a lot of ways where they're like, what can we put in X mm. and get out Y? Mm-hmm. And content is a, a bigger game. It's you have to um, constantly test things. Sometimes you'll write something, sometimes you'll produce something that doesn't do well, uh, but you got to keep going because it's, it's more about the aggregate metrics and the aggregate achievements versus the mm-hmm. the step-by-step. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why doing uh, reporting updates daily, even weekly sometimes, huh. I see companies panicking, oh God, our performance is down this week. And it's like, well, let's compare it to a month, the minimum, and then to the year because right. having your whole system panic because you have one bad day of uh, traffic right. compared to the last right. causes panic and shotgun reactions. <laughs> Good. All right. Um, research, prioritize, plan, execute. Let's talk about plan. That's where we get some some people may get into the content calendar, right, at this point? Yeah. And so uh, if you remember what I had mentioned that my definition of content strategy and marketing is anything on the digital web is fair game. And so a content plan can include your blog, but also your social channels, your email. Um, and once you prioritize what channels you're going to go after, and once you develop that strategy, the vision of what you're going to try to achieve, that's where it comes into just planning, okay, what channel do we want to start with or channels? Uh, and what should the messaging be to, in order to achieve it? And then you just figure out how you can launch the different pieces of content by making a, a calendar plan mm-hmm. to, to get it going and taking baby steps to getting there. So, I mean, is that a requirement? Do we need a calendar? I'll, and I ask you this, because just yesterday I had a conversation with Eli, the computer guy. He's, he's the guy, he has a YouTube channel. Uh, he's got several hundred thousand subscribers, um, you know, and he makes a living off of YouTube, and, and makes a decent mm-hmm. living off of YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I said, I asked him about content calendars. I said, well, how do you choose what to talk about? He says, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I. I decide what I'm going to talk about, and his point was that he's an he's an an ex sort of a, you know a, a personality in his field. He's an, he's up on computer repair technology, different programs, and and he's sort of tapped into what his audience wants. And so if something's going to be current to him, it's going to be current to them. And he's he's more about what's hot, what's right now, not such so much totally. evergreen play. But he doesn't have a content calendar, you know. And I and I yeah. think, I'm thinking to myself, wow, I mean. 
That's like basic 101 stuff mm -hmm. that I tell every yeah. client. You gotta have this. But you know, have you seen totally. examples where it's not needed or? Yeah, and, and I think that that example is a good one because it, it's literally just him who's dedicating to one channel doing one thing. Uh -huh. But it gets a lot more complicated the bigger you get and the more channels you're exploring. Um, and, and I love the the point you make and how he said you were making the point that he is more about news and what's trending right then. And so a content calendar doesn't need to be specific as we're talking about this topic or this exact headline on this mm. day. It's more about just making sure that you're filling all the holes because the more channels you use, oh. the less, the more likely it is that you're going to miss something and not be devoting your resources together uh, right. in the appropriate way. Uh, right. So what I like to do is I like to make calendars that are visual um, so that the more channels you have, the more easy, the easier it should be to skim it. And I find visuals, color coding, all that to be easier because then you can easily say, oh, we have absolutely nothing happening on Wednesday. Oh, we have nothing happening on email this whole week. Right. Um, and that's where or I think calendars are super helpful or, or nothing on this topic for the next month exactly. or so right exactly I like so That's, i so i think it depends think on it your takes side the pressure off too doesn't it, it? does it's yeah hard to like every week come up with something and put it out and Totally. It, it is hard. Um, but in, in that case, if you own your own blog, you own your YouTube channel, I, I can see you not necessarily needing something that rigid because that's the only thing you're doing. But as a business where you have a lot more going on, right. it helps to set up that structure in the short term so that you get your company gets into good practices as you scale than having yeah. too many people trying to organize. Right. It's not right. fun it's, working it, backwards. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a great tool for teams to keep a mm -hmm. team on the same page producing and, and yeah, which, which brings us to the last part, executing, right? Execute yeah. is the creation of the content and then, of course, the distribution of the totally. content. I think those are two mm -hmm. two areas that ex that Distilled excels in. Mm -hmm. Some of the content pieces you guys have put out have been phenomenal. Thank um, you. But I, I want to hear also not just about how you sort of approach creation, but really how you approach mm -hmm. getting it out there to the places where your prospects are spending time online so they come back to your so, site, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, and so... It, I, I'm not going to dive too much into the actual creating portion because it's going to do, be dependent on what topics you decide and what mm -hmm. formats your customers in that customer research tend to resonate with. Um, but the one thing I do want to say is think topic and content first, not format. Think format later. I see a lot of companies being like, oh, they're doing interactive or video. Video is where it's at. Let's do video. And then you have this framework of a format that you're trying to shove ideas into. but formats, they're only certain topics and executions work in every single format. So start with the idea, know what formats your customers resonate with, and then try to figure out which format makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, I think infographics are a really great example and that well, I see a lot of well, I, an example of people using them incorrectly, like oh. infographics are supposed to be about visualizing complicated data in a way that makes it easy. But there's so many infographics out there that you still see people just writing articles with images on a infographic. It's like these text boxes with images. I'm just like, why is this an infographic? You probably mm -hmm. spent so much money writing this article on a JPEG image and you could have just put it in a blog post and right. then had one little thumbnail and right. called it a day. So that's why thinking format first isn't the best way of going about things. Uh -huh. um, but once you do create the content, I think distribution is one of the most important things that a lot of companies don't do consistently 
or they they don't put the efforts into the right places. Um, and so what I mean by that is first, that whole make it and they will come thing does not work. I think it's a good idea to have a baseline of good content if you've never done any kind of promotion ever. Um, because when your PR people, when your team starts to try promoting, if you have absolutely no content on your site and it's like, it looks kind of shady and thin, these publishers are going to be like, hmm, <laughs> I don't know what that is. So I think having a baseline of content that you think is good is a good start, um, but that's never going to get you seen in the long term. You really need to, to have a multi-channel distribution strategy for your content. Mm -hmm. um, and so that includes uh, manual outreach, manual PR pitching, but it also includes paid, paid social ads, um, retargeting. Uh, it, it can include um, your own channels, um, which includes optimizing for social sharing, includes leveraging your email. Um, I see. I see a lot of people so obsessed with customer acquisition and new new eyeballs when they're doing big campaigns mm. that they don't leverage their existing community and their email list. You should be figuring out a way to right. um, let your existing customers know you have content because who knows? They could have their own blog. They could be. Uh, amplifiers themselves and they already like your brand right. um, so that's something I, I see people not doing enough of but I think distribution is where it's at uh, and when I say the wrong type of distribution uh, I see a lot of companies trying to get coverage and links to blog posts um, and that is not the type of content that publishers want to link to. Um, if it's good content it's a good resource that's more of a long-term play of like mm -hmm. having it rank well in Google and having a publisher find it on their own when they're doing research for a topic they're writing on. But if you think about it from the publisher's perspective, if you get an email that says, hey, I wrote this really cool blog post, can you write about it? They're not going <laughs> right. to write an article right. that says, news, right? yeah, it's not news. And they're not going to write an article that says, hey, somebody told me to share this. Here's a link to it. Go to their site to read it. Most publishers know duplicating the content isn't an idea, so they're not just going to copy and paste it. So there's really no way for them to actually include a blog post in the con confines of what they're doing with their own brand and their own calendar. Mm -hmm. um, the only way is that you're trying to hope that they remember it when they're writing an article and they'll link to it as mm -hmm. a resource. It's it, Blog posts with manual outreach is not a good game. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'll just come out and say it. <laughs> so I like, I, like, I like that you said that because I think that's a technique a lot of SEO companies are still doing. Totally. Um, what would be an appropriate format or topic yeah. or piece of data for manual outreach? Yeah, I think manual outreach does better with something like you had said that's either novel or news breaking. Um, so it could be something like sometimes a video. It could be survey findings. Publishers, especially mm -hmm. news outlets, love new data. Uh, and really, surveys are the only way to make new data as a company, unless you have proprietary data based off of your right. uh, product or service. Um, so that's a great way for manual outreach to get coverage. Um, if you create some kind of interactive piece, so if it's like a quiz, something that a publisher isn't going to make in mm -hmm. the con confines of their own written article, mm -hmm. that could get coverage. Um, but basically, you want it to be different than what they're doing, because why would they publish yours when you, these publishers are trying to build up their own brand, their own career? Why would they just take your article? Um, and yeah, guest posting still works, but linking to an article that you already wrote on your site is not something that they're going right. to do. <laughs> so yeah, and I think you guys would probably say, put your energy into making the, the, art, the blog post so awesome that people are going to want to link to it on their own. 
Yeah, and and I think social is a much better play for articles. Um, I would never underestimate the power of social media because all journalists and all publishers mm-hmm. are, are susceptible to social media, right. and no publisher ever has said, "Oh, look at this cool thing somebody told me to share in an email." They always find something because publishers are curators, um, and they're more likely to see content on social and be like, "Hmm, I'm a journalist. There's a story there," and then write it on their own. Um, so I say going after social paid ads for blog posts, paid, paid social, the great mm-hmm. way of doing it. Um, looking at tools like Outbrain and whatnot right. is a really good uh, right. idea for distribution and whatnot. So, Great. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Good. Love it. Um, all right. So how are you doing on time? You still got a few minutes? Yeah, okay, of course. I know you got an example that we want to show, but before we get to that example, mm-hmm. um, can you give us some advice if we're on a budget, you know, if we're small... Uh, marketing department or maybe we're a small company and we don't have um, we just don't have a big budget to throw at you know at all of these steps the research the you know the high-end design the you know use of all these channels and their and their advertising mm-hmm. costs so just if you could you know some of our listeners are, are in, in smaller companies so I'd love to hear some strategies that you guys employ when the budget's not so big Totally. Um, I think it it comes down to doing the best you can with that research because research is a endless abyss. You can never do enough customer research. You can never do enough competitor mm-hmm. research. Never enough uh, any of that. Um, but I. I don't want to say that you shouldn't do it because even when you're a small business, you definitely should because that's what's going to make you able to make better decisions that are smarter uh, and not keeping trying all of these things that you're just hoping it's going to work. As a small business, you need to be a lot more resourceful and figuring out where you should allocate your your money and whatnot. And that kind of research helps you make better decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can do that really easily for customer research. For example, looking at your existing customers, sending out an easy survey to them, giving them a a nice $25-$50 gift card uh, prize for filling it out, asking them questions around what their what their likes and wants are um, doing a survey monkey has pretty affordable panel if you want to get a, a general population mm. panel to fill out a survey pay them you could do Google consumer surveys there's a lot of easy ways mm. to gather data um, and you can analyze social behavior of your users if you're using any kind of tool like Sprout Social, Simply Measured. Um, there's a lot of ways to gather insights for the cheap if you're a small business. Um, so taking those, I highly recommend still calling your competitors and going through their sales process because that, yeah, that only takes it. time. Uh, and then just trying to figure out, okay, what can I do that's going to be the best use of time? Um, and really, that's if you're a small business, prioritization is where it's at. Um, and then constant testing because um, you, you don't necessarily necessarily need to make a big thing that blows up the internet. Um, Sometimes you can get more leads and more sales just by fixing something that's already on your site. Um, So maybe you're getting a lot of um, traffic to a page, but it's not really converting that well. There's lots of split tests you can probably run to make that perform better. Mm -hmm. You could throw Qualaroo up on on your site and ask people why they're leaving. Um, So sometimes it's about making smaller changes than trying to hit everything from the the ground up. Mm -hmm. So... Good. All right. Great advice. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So now I ha- we have an example. This is the part I've been looking forward to. Um, yeah. I think you're going to share your screen. Is that is it time for that? Yeah. Yes, right. of course. 
So we're gonna. What I'd like to do here with this example, what, what's the, what's the? Uh, are you allowed to say are you under under an NDA? Are you allowed to say what who the client was or or who the? Yes, I can. I can say who the client is. So the client, its name is Concert Hotels, uh, and what they do is they basically help people who are passionate about music find hotels around the venues of oh, cool. um, uh, where they're playing. So. Yeah, that's right. what I'll be talking about. All right, great. So when you share your screen, while you're doing that, I'll just set it up here. So we're gonna, we're gonna basically, you're gonna walk us through each of the phases: the research, the prioritization, the planning, and the execution for, um, for, for this, uh, for this uh, example here that that you guys did. And I think you, I understand you're gonna end with some, some stats about uh, the success of this campaign, right? Exactly. Yes. So can you see the screen? Yeah. Yep. Perfect. Uh, so as I said, this is a con uh, concert hotels, our client who came to us. Um, and they, one of their objectives was they needed to just get more visibility for their brand. They needed more traffic to their site um, because they weren't really getting enough to know kind of where the holes were in, in their, in their site and whatnot. Um, so for example, when I had said before, do split testing, figure out um, what the issues are on your current site. Sometimes if you don't have any traffic going to those pages, it's difficult to see what those things are. So our main objective for this client was how can we get more brand awareness, more visibility? Because that's really the first step to getting more leads down the road. Um, so when we were doing working with them, we were really looking at the objectives of getting social shares and getting media coverage. Um, and so when we were doing those, uh, when we were talking about those exercises of understanding your company and, and doing the, the customer and competitor research, those pillars, one of the things that we realized was kind of, I guess, their position as a company was that they were kind of data geeks in and of itself. Um, and during those kind of mission and vision exercise I had discussed earlier, that came out as an insight of like, that's a way that they can position their brand mm. from competitors. And so our kind of content strategy stemming from that was, let's analyze the music industry in a data geeky driven approach. Um, and so we went on to create a, quite a few data visualizations around music and the different data that comes out of music. Uh, and this piece that I'm sharing right here is the output of one of those. And the what we did here is we basically plotted the vocal ranges of some of the world's greatest singers based off of uh, the Billboard Music Awards and and both from the current and the present. So if you see here, you can see that there's a more current people like Mariah Carey, but there's also people like James Brown, Marvin Gaye. Right. Um, and so it goes down and it basically plots the different types of vocal ranges to see who has the, the widest range. So cool. Um, I can't, I just got to say, I can't believe that Steven Tyler ha doesn't have as high a note as Axl Rose. I mean, maybe that... Well, <laughs> well, exactly. And it's funny that you say that because when we did the data visualization and we got the results, seeing that Axl Rose actually had the widest vocal range over somebody like Mariah Carey yeah. was really interesting. We were like, huh. And you can see that it wasn't even something that we uh, initially thought was a big deal. Because if you look at the top up here, Axl Rose's face isn't even up there. Um, so we didn't, we were right. just like, oh, that's interesting. Um, but, you know, Mariah Carey being up there, Prince, Steven Tyler, that makes sense, but okay. Um, and so what ended up happening is when we started pitching this, 
is uh, one of our PR consultants, she had the idea of why don't we try to look for a niche editor on the Huffington Post? Because I know that they have a big music editor uh, channel there. And so she pitched one of the editors she found and tweeted them and they actually ended up uh, covering it. And so their their headline was very news oriented, comparing the top artists past and present by vocal range. And you can see here on the results that it did pretty well. It got some of that pretty well. 104,000 likes. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, it did okay. Um, so we we lucked out there, but but it wasn't only just luck though, in the sense of yes, it was lucky that the art the editor said yes, um, but it was very calculated in finding this editor. Um, we made sure that this writer had a lot of social proof on their past articles, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of these publishers, you know, we get really excited when we get on Huffington Post, Wall Street Journal, whatnot, but they they are. Uh, their industry, as as they know it, is struggling, and so they're becoming almost content farms where they put out way too much content, and so it's very likely that your content will never get seen when it gets coverage. Mm. So you want to make sure that you're pitching to people who have proof of social shares, right, yeah, um, like this we, this one did. That's something we say as well is, is find the influence of the uh, you know of those writers because the people who have their own Twitter following are going to help exactly. you. Exactly hopefully help you more. Exactly. Um, And so from this, you know, going back to my point earlier where I said that journalists are just as susceptible to social media as your customers are, what happened after this kind of ended up having a snowball effect of its own. Because what happened is on this next piece, the I think it's Consequence of Sound is their, this publisher's name, they're big in the music space. They saw that Huffington Post article and said, and, and they they decide to cover it, and they said Axl Rose is the greatest singer of all time, or so this chart says. Um, well, <laughs> not what the chart says, but I see I see what your point. Yeah, They're duking it yeah. out, right? They're trying to use this to their own advantages. Exactly, and that is where um, that's the journalists. That's their job. Their job is to make interesting angles, and so they took this piece where we weren't necessarily saying that, but they decided that that was the angle, and, and it just so happened that our data did represent that. Um, and this ended up having a snowball effect because all of a sudden all these publishers saw this and started fighting. No, actually this published, this is actually the greatest singer of all time who mm. has the widest vocal range, not Axl Rose. And it, it kind of started this media frenzy on its own. And then it ended up happening that Axl Rose ended up responding to a, <laughs> to this list, calling him the world's greatest singer um, on the Rolling Stone. And he basically, he it was a pretty humbling if I scroll down here, you can see um, that his right here, it was rather a lengthy two paragraph response. Uh, and he was basically saying, like, you know, I'm flattered, but this is who I think are some of the best singers. And he started naming a few um, and saying thank you. And so he even saw this and commented on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the point here is that, yes, this was a bigger piece of content. It was a big investment to make, um, but it only took a really strategic distribution approach of finding the right person to mm-hmm. pitch uh, mm-hmm. and letting the journalists kind of feed out the story themselves rather than trying to force feed a story down their throat in your pitch. Um, and it just goes to show that they're as susceptible to social media as your customers right. are. Right. And yeah. also, I think another takeaway for me, at least, is when you're pitching to journalists like this, you got to make them look good, right? you got to give them something that's going to help them. Don't try to, like you said before about just a, any old blog post, you got to give them something that, that's going to be useful to them. 
Exactly. All right. So before we wrap up, I think you got some stats, right? Um, do you have like any? Yeah. Any- so this this piece actually, when it was all said and done, I got 1.9 million visits back to the client site, and that was solely because of all this coverage from these big media players, um, and then the social shares. When it was all said and done for the piece for the piece on concert hotels was 110,000 shares, mm. um, which you can see each of these channel these uh, publishers had their own set of shares right. that exceeds that. But that is great. Yeah, it did really well. All right, so why don't you um, let me turn off your screen sharing. We'll go back to the picture in picture here, and uh, I will uh, let's let's wrap up with a question I always like to ask the people who appear on the show is um, you know if you could give us one piece of advice, you know what's the one thing we sh- that uh, you want to leave us with that we could really use and you know start to. Get get mm-hmm. some get some actual lift and and uh, start applying to our work uh, when it comes yeah. to you know content strategy. What's that one thing you that one piece of advice you'd give us? Totally, um, I'm going to cheat and give you two because there's two points from this discussion that I I really want you to walk away with. Uh, the first being be a skeptical marketer and don't just do what everybody else is doing. Invest in the research in the short term. Gather insights that are better going to be able to make better help you be able to make better decisions mm-hmm. uh, and to constantly be testing. Don't just put something up on your site and hope it's going to do well. Uh, So that's first, being a skeptic. And second is uh, don't underestimate the power of distribution uh, and don't, because that you're not going to see results with that just publish and um, and hope they come sort of mentality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes that's what causes that mistake we talked about of giving up too soon. So distribution is uh, don't underestimate it. Great, awesome. So. All right, Adria Saracino, mm-hmm. thanks so much for your time. It's been really helpful, really good information. Great, great case study. Um, why don't you leave us with a little bit more about how we can find out about you, about Distilled, and I know you have a, a special offer also for our listeners. Definitely. So yes, again, I am Adria Saracino, and you can find me, Adria Saracino, my full name, at Twitter. Uh, and we all, also, uh, I was one of our speakers at our past Search Love conference in California this couple uh, weeks ago, and we are actually offering a free video from that session. So it'd be great if you choose mine. It's about content distribution, uh, but there's a lot of other great speakers like Rand Fishkin, Will Reynolds, and you can grab access to their video session for free and we will send the link to that afterwards where you can okay. get that uh, do you have the link you want to read it for the people who don't have the video and can only hear it on the audio uh, I don't have it on me right now it's kind of a complicated email uh, right. URL so alright what um, I'll do then is I'll just post it on our website um, Periscope Up if you go to periscopeup.com slash podcast find the Adria Saracino podcast Um, And I'll put it up on that page. How about that? Sounds perfect. All right. Thanks again. And um, really, thank you. Appreciate your time. All right. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Getting More Leads and Sales from Your Website podcast with your host, Dan Kaplan, co-founder of Periscope Up, trusted provider of digital marketing services. Periscope Up offers digital marketing services to increase website and campaign performance, including website optimization, pay-per-click and banner advertising, content marketing, HubSpot and marketing automation, and of course, Google Analytics. Visit PeriscopeUp.com for a free Google Analytics course. Dan's ebook on great website content 
or to sign up for our email newsletter filled with succinct, practical marketing tips that will help you get more leads and sales from any website.